<laughs> Let's go for a little while with the podcast or with the game? <laughs> with the game. Okay. All right. Let me just get a word. Okay. One, two, three. Dark Fistagons. <laughs> All right. Dark Carnage and Fistagons. I've got my answer. I do as well. Okay. One, two, three. Necro Sword. <laughs> okay we got villains and necrosword okay all right this is easy one (laughs) two three venom dark carnage (laughs) venom's really more of an anti-hero these days (laughs) okay all right this This one should be extremely easy easy. wait there there's two possible answers here but one two Three symbiote. There it is. <laughs> and welcome. <laughs> this is all going in to the uh, sultry 17th episode <sighs> of the podcast with all the sexual chemistry of a. Did I already use something about a witch? <laughs> with all the sexual chemistry of a witch and a cyborg? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <sighs> Which apparently, hi. Yeah, apparently. With all this sexual Sparks chemistry of <laughs> a group of six-toed giants, <laughs> it's Got the Runs, your favorite your favorite podcast. Your what favorite podcast. Say? I was going to say the only podcast where a witch summons her wand through menses. Oh, that was, that's such a, <laughs> that's such a Brian K. <laughs> it is such a Brian K. I read it and literally, like, out loud went, oh, my wife was like, what? And I was like, I think I'll be arrested if I explain yeah, I out loud. I can't tell you. <laughs> oh, yes. But we are talking about, we are continuing to talk about Brian K. Vaughn. What episode is this in Brian K. Vaughn? Probably like seven? Uh, four wise, two swamp things, and this is the second. So this is eight. Uh, yeah. The eighth episode of our Brian K. Vaughn miniseries. Uh, should we name these miniseries? That feels like too much of a blank check ripoff. I, I couldn't possibly. <laughs> I mean, it would be like... I mean, it's so easy because it's Pod the Last Cast. Yeah. Is, <laughs> but that's that's too that's too much too much gimmick infringement. Certainly. Um, but we are talking about Volume 2 of Runaways, issues number 1 through 24. A, a brisk read, I will say. Yeah, it goes fast. Uh, for all for all my hemming and hawing about how twenty four was going to be tough, it was not. It it does fly. You can say that for the man's comics. <laughs> when I was reading these, I was like, maybe we should be doing like twenty issue chunks instead of usually ten issue chunks. And I was like, imagine if we had to do an episode on all of Swamp Thing. <laughs> and I was just like, oh no no no. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It uh, some 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 creators are easier than others. Some series are easier than others. I think when I put this together. I was looking back and was like, these are a pretty light read, all said. Yeah, I mean, they are, hypothetically speaking, marketed towards children. Yes, I read an interview that he did, like a retrospective interview from when the TV series came out, where he was like, my goal was for like 15-year-old girls sitting in the like aisles at Barnes & Noble to be like able to read a full trade like before their mom was like, we're leaving. So This is some real... Barnes and Noble or chapters slash indigo oh, cool. core uh, content. Last uh, man, all right. Just bless up to the pandemic. 
Last thing I read it uh, in an indigo. Uh, Jason Aaron's Thor, I believe. Oh, there you have it. Oh, man, I'd, I'd really have to get in the old time machine. I think I read like the first three chapters of the first Hunger Games, <laughs> which I was too old for. But it's like we so we worked at a camp famously. Uh, sure. <laughs> and as a counselor, there was one summer where all the kids were like Hunger Games. And I was like, what is this? So then at, at some point, like I was in a chapters, I was like, oh, this is that book all those kids were talking about and read like three chapters. And I was like. I'm not in this demographic anymore. <laughs> really? You're not in the demographic of just like Battle Royale, basically? Not really. <laughs> Were you mad can't, when you can't say that realized that it was a direct lift from Battle Royale? No. Uh, I think the last time I got mad about something Battle Royale related was... <laughs> Was when he watched Battle Royale 2? Hey-oh. <laughs> hey no, it was in Nick Spencer's run on Ant-Man where he has Cassie Lang um, be derisive towards her dad for thinking that she's reading Hunger Games and saying, I'm reading Battle Royale. And I was like, this is such a 30-year-old <laughs> dude thing to have a 15-year-old girl say and care about. It's actually cool that I'm reading Battle Royale <laughs> is, what is the argument I'm advancing. <laughs> Oh, but of course, we're not talking about Battle Royale. We are talking about Runaways continuing to be uh, written and penciled by Brian K. Vaughn and Adrian Alfona, respectively. Yes, although some fill-ins, of course. Yep, if, hey, if Cloak and Dagger are showing up in <laughs> Runaways, for some reason, we know exactly who to turn to. Uh, if, if there's got to be a good rhyme for this. Oh, yeah, no, that, that's the previous arc, not the not Cloak and Dagger. Yeah, it, it is funny because Takeshi Miyazawa is back uh, for a couple of issues. And then I thought I thought he was going to stick around when I saw like, next issue, Cloak and Dagger. And I was like, oh, Takeshi's old <laughs> chums. And then I went and it was like Alphona. And I was like, huh? <laughs> Isn't this copyright infringement of some kind? Yes, but let's, uh, so let's, let's have a look at you. So basically this starts like we said on the last episode it starts basically what six months after the first volume ends yes so basically i i uncovered an interview that for some reason I, I didn't ever see during my reading for the last one in which vaughn talks about this and he basically said like the sales were too low all the tsunami books were going away I wrote number 18 thinking it was going to be my last issue. And then between like submitting the script for 18 and it coming out, they got like the trade numbers on the first trade and we're like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) never mind. (laughs) Are you doing anything for the next 24 months? (laughs) So yeah, it was, they obviously they needed to give him time to like do some development and, and Alphona needed time to get a few issues in the bank. But, uh, it came back pretty quickly, right? Um, yeah. So, and this and this makes sense as like you always talk about like a new number one. Mm-hmm. Like this would probably be a new number one, anyways, right? Yeah, definitely. Or I the think. type of thing that would be turned into a new number one. Yeah, I. Th- I it is. It is really like a, a bold new era for the Runaways in some ways. Yes, I, I mean that's certainly like it's it's at least a soft reset. And they start adding new members to the team. No spoilers. Lots of new characters. Um, So let's look at your favorite segment. (laughs) 
just what is going I'm on here. <laughs> I'm obsessed with just what is going on here. Um, so it's it's so we're looking at issue volume two, issue one, of course, mm-hmm. with the, of course, with the cover by Joe Chen. Um, and so we're still. What interests me is that we're still seeing the manga influence here. Yeah, although this almost looks like a Swamp Thing cover. That's interesting. In terms of the like the color grading and stuff like that, I would agree. And just like the figures, I don't. Yeah, I don't, I'm not crazy about this color because or this cover rather because Freudian Gert slip. and Molly are both unrecognizable. Wait, Gert's like, on this cover? Oh, right, Gert, right. That is Gert front <laughs> right, and center, right, right. I, like my... so off model that it's not even funny. Yes, it definitely does not look. Like it. I I like it. I like the art style for sure. Um, I wasn't familiar with Joe Chen, but she has like, she's kind of like an American, or she's Chinese originally, actually, um, but lives in the U.S. and has certainly a manga-inspired style. And she's done art for like Dojinshi, which are self-published manga. Um, I mean, it's it's a very typical like number one group shot kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> with the exception of Gert, who is like looking off into the distance and pondering, foreshadowing. Um, okay. Um, spoilers. This is it, it doesn't it doesn't look like her, but it does look like a character I would potentially be interested in reading a comic about. She's like, who is it does, she? It's true. It it almost looks like like the artist has never actually seen any of the interior pages and just got sent like like character profiles. Right. Where it's like this is who these characters are. This is how this one dresses. This is like just a general description and was like, all right, well, here's that one. Right. Also, okay, look up a picture of Ezreal from League of Legends <laughs> real quick. Okay, here we go. And you're typing it in. Can you spell that for me? E-Z-R-E-A-L. Ezra Z- Miller. Yes, Ezra what Miller. <laughs> League of Legends. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, and you're going to see a photo. Oh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> of the Chase Man himself. You're going to see a photo that looks identical to Chase on the cover of this issue. He's even down got to, big old fistigons yep, and down goggles. To the, the goggles on the forehead and the the gauntlet that he has, which I thought was very funny. That um, is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's neither here nor there. It does predate. League of Legends by several years. Yes. Uh, well, and that's another uh, inaccuracy because he doesn't have the fistigons anymore. It's true. Or the his famous x-ray specs. Um, yes, I believe those were incinerated along <laughs> with Alex. <laughs> they were certainly crushed under rubble at the very least. At the very least. Um, but we start with the story arc True Believers, which is a real, <sighs> a real Marvel joke. Also, like... A, not a good title for this story yeah what is who are the true believers in this context unclear to me <sighs> yeah uh, unclear to me is <laughs> the best <laughs> i can i can do maybe like excelsior are the true believers oh uh <laughs> true believers in what now <laughs> uh <laughs> their their thing that they're all about which is like recovering teenage heroes yes this is a very weird and very specific organization that like you said exists to sort of like read but it's like it's like a, it's a group therapy thing for people yes. who were a 12-step program for coming out of a life as a teen hero yes basically but yes the, the true leaders thing he he loves 
injecting his little bits of Marvel related humor. Like I think he is very happy to be in the Marvel universe and like Oh yeah, definitely. And certainly, you know, as we see later his team Excelsior, all (laughs) all that good stuff. And as we see later, there's a much you know, it's much more integrated with the Marvel universe than it was previously. Although it's big time. It's still not directly tied in very often. Although no, there is but there a... are the, he definitely is relishing a lot more in being able to be like, and since they're in New York, let's have Spider-Man, Captain America, Wolverine, Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> like, Iron just Man. Get, get the whole squad up in here. Yes, and there is also a, a Civil War runaway slash Young Avengers There is. Uh, I... I believe it's written by the uh, Young Avengers writer, uh, which is Alan Heinemann. I, I believe their Heinberg? name was. I looked Kinberg. at the first issue, and I believe the name was Wells. But this is good. This is good fact. Oh, checking. that would be that would be Zeb Wells. Yeah, created by Alan Heinberg. Yeah, written by Zeb Wells. Hmm. Art by Stefano Caselli. Love Caselli. Wells is an interesting pick. <laughs> Best known for his work on Robot Chicken. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Um, speaking of Excelsior, which is comprised of, uh, and this is like another example of, uh, Brian K. Vaughn being like, well, we're in the, uh, mainline Marvel universe now, so I'm going to go absolutely ham. <laughs> the roster of Excelsior is, <laughs> let me see if I can find the, <laughs> find the page here where we meet everybody. Oh boy. So, so some of these characters, I consider myself fairly, uh, versed on, uh yeah, so <laughs> like familiarity marvel, with marvel comics. lore yeah there are several characters in <laughs> this arc that i haven't never seen before so the the full squad is uh mickey musashi aka turbo, turbo phil yurik who was the green goblin but the heroic one son of ben yurik um, son of ben yurik yeah chris power pa- he might be his nephew actually Wow, relative of this. relative of Ben Yurick. Um Chris Powell, aka Dark Hawk, uh Julie Power, aka Lightspeed, the Ricochet, who I have never heard of <laughs> before and whose real name is not given. Uh he used and to be a Slinger. <laughs> yeah, a Slinger, which we all know what slingers are, of course. Um Jono Starsmore, who will actually, of course, eventually learn is Jeffrey Wilder in yes. disguise. And a truly bizarre twist that has little impact on anything, it seems. <laughs> like, I feel like they were literally just like, wait, how does Jeffrey Wilder know all this? And the answer was, he had to he be. He was Jono Starsmore all along. They do seed it a little bit. They make fun of his bad accent, etc. Yes, Molly I does believe... say. I believe Vaughn wrote a chamber like mini series. We talked last time about his like X-Men icons, like little mini runs. I'm pretty sure one of the ones he did was chamber. Anyways, it was. these are like some real C-listers. Uh, would it surprise you to learn that they spun off of this into their own I title? I was reading about this and I was like, <laughs> I guess I can see that. Like, I mean, I guess like was Runaways just like quite popular. It was. I mean, it was popular for sure. I don't know if it was like, and now the <laughs> editor of Runaways <laughs> bringing, bringing you this team that like is kind of formed as a joke. Yes, it's 
it's a it's a choice for sure it is it is a choice they had to change the name to the loners because stanley owns the copyright on excelsior <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, which is good stuff it lasted six issues uh from current marvel editor-in-chief and uh runways originating editor cb sabolsky runways um like the fashion yes. version of runaways aka uh akira yoshida oh huh? are you familiar with this no oh no oh baby <laughs> <laughs> uh i don't i don't know enough of the details clearly enough to give the full story but the long and the short of it is that cb sabolsky uh authored a few comics under the name akira yoshida and Uh akira yoshida was believed to be a distinct like actual person he was not known to be the pen name of cb sabolsky right and and he like yeah used it to write (laughs) some questionable stories under the guise of being a japanese man if you google cb sabolsky akira yoshida you will find the whole and also saga and also to circumvent a company policy oh yeah marvel's (laughs) editorial staff from writing or drawing comic books yes uh yeah interesting quite, quite a quite a thing when that news came out uh right around the time that he was announced as the next editor-in-chief <sighs> yeah wildness anyways so he wrote uh, the loners uh for like six issues and then they faded into obscurity and got folded into the cast of uh, avengers academy a much better book uh and then went away when that got canceled i'll i'll miss them <laughs> I... so say we all i yeah i mean I don't care about Excelsior, I will say. <laughs> I do like that Rick Jones is... The, <laughs> I like all the Rick Jones-related stuff that happens in <laughs> these issues. I yes. like when they think that Rick Jones did Super Freak. <laughs> I like that <laughs> several people talk about owning Rick Jones CDs. I like all the Rick Jones stuff. Yes, and they revealed that the that Excelsior is being bankrolled based on royalties from his book. <laughs> Yes, I love a good Rick Jones pull, uh, the Forrest Gump of the Marvel Universe. Oh, but fair. Um, yes, so this book, this group Excelsior exists, and as we later find out, are being bankrolled by Rick Jones, sort of not not exactly on behalf of Captain America, but kind of related. <laughs> like there's there's right. a link there, uh, a somewhat tenuous one. Uh, and he has basically hired them to round up the runaways and and bring them in. So I felt like we're, we're meant to believe that it's like the pride or someone nefarious that is asking him to do this, surely. It, yeah, I think I think it is intended to feel somewhat nefarious, mostly because so many times the like leaders of Excelsior are like, we trust our benefactor. He seems like a good guy. And it's funny that in the end, it's like, it's me, Rick Jones, noted good guy. Yeah, the most trustworthy person in, in the Marvel Universe. You were right. Um, yes. Oh, well, well, we should lay a little bit of groundwork here. So it's... Well, I was going to say, we're burying the two leads, which are the introduction of uh, Victor Mancha and the introduction of Old Gert. Well, I was thinking like even broader than that, which is that. So basically, where we're at in terms of like you know the state of affairs with uh, with the Runaways themselves. So it's I don't know how long it's meant to have been since the end of the first volume, but it doesn't seem to have been too long. Um, They have relocated to underneath the Labrea tar pits, 
a good bit. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we've forgotten to mention the other new member of the team, the city of Los Angeles. <laughs> it's almost like it's the sixth runaway. I guess seventh. <laughs> I, I know there was Los Angeles stuff in the first volume, but in this volume, it feels like quite aggressive. <laughs> it is aggressive. I, I don't mind it. Like it, I think the idea is that it, it does give it that a more distinct flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, certainly adding like a character of Latin descent is probably part of that as well. But yes, we... So Nico is now the basically the de facto leader of the group, mm-hmm. a role that she I'd say she grows into more. We learned that defeating the pride was like defeating Saddam <laughs> <laughs> in the sense that uh... <laughs> they needed to be defeated, but we didn't know what to do once we defeated them, which is uh, not an unreasonable comparison, I would say. I guess not. I just wish we had gotten to see uh, Nico declaring that we got him. <laughs> sure was that Saddam Uh, I'm not sure or was that mission accomplished when they when they flew the mission accomplished banner I believe okay here's where we just really show (laughs) what we know about recent (laughs) US history history. (laughs) I believe mission accomplished was something it was basically like about how like they had won the Iraq war (laughs) like or that like they had successfully, like, the basically it was like the invasion of Iraq was a success and we won. And now, like, you know, we'll continue to Ladies do... and gentlemen, we got him, is a quote originally uttered by American diplomat Paul Bremer during a 2003 press conference announcing the capture of Saddam Hussein. Hey, this is major. Um, But yes... I'm not, was mission accomplished at the same, this is all going out, this is getting cut. <laughs> no, leave it, leave it. Uh, the mission accomplished speech named for a banner displayed above the speaker was a televised address by George W. Bush on the aircraft car- carrier Abraham Lincoln on May 1st, 2003. <laughs> Although Bush stated at the time, our mission <laughs> continues. <laughs> yes, May, May 2003. A very funny time to have declared <laughs> that you won the Iraq War. Uh, so that, I mean, the mission accomplished speech does appear to have been directly after. Okay, okay. Oh, no, no. December 13th is when <laughs> they captured Saddam. So they did not have Saddam. No, the they did not have Saddam when they announced mission accomplished. In January 2009, Bush said that clearly putting mission accomplished on an aircraft carrier was a mistake. <laughs> uh, anyways, if we'd only gotten to hear Nico say we got him. But yes, she is the de facto leader. Everyone seems deeply unhappy, <laughs> a trend which will continue throughout the entire run. Yes, there's, there's a little more uh, like melodrama or... Yeah teen angst yeah a little bit of like a a wb cw vibe to the whole thing yes but but i feel like that is the vibe that they should be shooting for and i think for the most part they pull it off pretty successfully brian kevon has talked about how like you know they sort of wanted to touch on like the ideas of like sexuality and gender which do get talked about a lot in this volume like definitely more so than the first one Mm -hmm. um Generally, I think, like, sort of, like, the banter and the, like, 
conversationality between the different characters is I, I think much improved personally. I agree. And I think it gets better as it goes on as well. Like the early issues, you know, again, that's that's when we get Nico <laughs> using menstruation to summon the staff of one. That's when we get most of the dialogue that feels closer to the original run in terms of like the um, the sort of smarminess of it and like the the well actually factoid dropping and, um, you know, all those those sorts of habits of his. I think it improves a lot as it goes along. Yes, I, I think that that Vaughn, he sort of realized that this is a book aimed at teenagers. It should be written more, like it should be pitched more towards a teenage sensibility. Now I'm curious, because like it, it certainly makes sense that over the course of, you know, 24 issues that he would be developing still. And like that's, you're really getting into the meat of why at that point, I imagine. Yeah, um, this is uh, this is what he had to say uh, when the Runaways TV series launched, which was 2017, 10 years after uh, the last issue came out. Um, they ask, who was Brian K. Vaughn when he created Runaways? And he says, well, I was a lot younger. I was a really naive young creator. I was desperate to make my mark and break into the world of comics. I also probably had more hangups about adults. I was a much more cynical young man, but I have to give the kid credit. He came up with this wacky idea I'm not sure I would have been able to come up with in this day and age. I'm both humbled by his limitations and grateful for his imagination. Which feels like very fair. Yes, humbled by your limitations and grateful for your imagination. It does feel like the correct way to think about a young creator certainly and I, and I think that like it makes sense to read this and be like oh yeah this is like kind of a, a cynical like slightly edgy 20 something like kid in, in a lot of ways still who is still working through some of his like growing pains as a writer yes and then by by the time we get to the end of right so I'm just thinking I'm sort of comparing cover dates here so March 2007 is the cover, or I don't know if it's the cover date or the real date. Classic comics, very clear. Thank you for doing that. It's a great industry standard. But yes, March 2007 is Runaways issue 24, which is the end of Vaughn's run. And so at the same time, that's Why Last Man number 53. Yeah. So you're like, you're right. You're really in the meat of like him, like putting out good stuff. And I think his like maturation as a writer definitely does show there and i think also just the pacing of the book is a lot smarter like we get a lot there's less of the overarching pride stuff although there is you know there's a little bit but for the most part it's sort of kept off to the side Mm -hmm. and we get more moments of like them interacting within the hostel like them having conversations with each other molly (laughs) (laughs) molly is better i'll give i'll give molly her due she's interesting better in these it not like not a lot better like the oliver twist issue is still like (laughs) am i supposed to buy that this girl is 12 uh like i'm not saying it's perfect and especially like i'm excited to get to paper girls which is centered around four 12 year old girls uh and see how like his handling of girls at that age has changed but I do think Molly improves over time, you know, not to not to a point of perfection, but a bit less cartoonish than what we saw in the original run. I do not agree. 
I think that she like she's still like oh there's there's was one specific instance I can't remember exactly what it is but like there was like a word she didn't know and it was like how do you like you're you are not five like you know words she does say that she dropped out of the fourth grade which made me think was she held back (laughs) (laughs) that's true 12 years 12 is young is is old for the fourth but it is Is old for the fourth grade at the at the beginning she is certainly um but yes i i was speculating that the reason that she was the way she is is that she has some learning difficulties <sighs> but yes as you said 10 minutes ago we are bearing the lead of this this arc certainly uh the two major things that get introduced in the first issue are victor mancha who is at this point just a guy <laughs> a high school student who we shortly discover is a robot. Mm-hmm. I okay. So let's 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 really dig deep on this. Robot versus android versus cyborg. Okay. Robot like Ultron. Ultron is a robot. Sure. I believe Victor is an android, which I is believe a that's human correct. or a robot rather designed to emulate a human yes but he's also cyborg is a human augmented with robot parts right but isn't he also like made up of human dna and here's the thing he has sex with nico at one point spoilies which (laughs) and and expresses a desire to have children which like really got me thinking <laughs> about the implications. <laughs> yeah, like can, does he ejaculate? Does that accomplish anything? Does he have like does, does that he... accomplish anything? <laughs> I, I mean, like do, does he somehow produce sperm? Like <sighs> I, I don't, I don't know. I'm it just, just raises a... <laughs> Listen, I'm just asking the important questions about this 16 year old robot boy <laughs> yes. who's actually like three. Um, but I do, I do feel that to have him a be sexually active and b explicitly have a conversation where he says, "I would like to have children." And not ask, not even address, is that even something he can do? Is like inviting open speculation. It's true. It's certainly true. Yes. And then there's there's also a thrown off line by Ultron. Spoilers. He's Ultron's kid. Weirdly. <laughs> Ultron, Ultron designed and programmed using DNA from his mother. Correct. Who is an ex His mother. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, she rolled the chance cube with Ultron and lost. Certainly. Um, but what I was going to say is that he, he, there, there's a tossed off line that Ultron says where it's like, by like in a few years, the nanites that compose your body will have like faded, question mark, or like will be indistinguishable from you being human. So I guess the idea is like, you're a human, but you're not. They, they kind of play fast and lose because also later, like we see it like get busted up and he's just like, it's just robot insides. So they kind of, uh, like with most of the powers in this book, I would say they play it pretty loose with what yeah, they're capable of. The, the, I mean, not to, not to dwell again too long on the decision to have, uh, Nico summon the staff of one using menstruation, but those like the powers all around the staff of one are very confusing to me as far as like what constitutes bloodshed, like how how does the staff work as like my recollection of it coming back was like 
she can use any phrase to cast a spell once. Right. But but you could and like duplicate. Yeah, I was like, you could duplicate the effect. Like if you did freeze and ice, like you could hypothetically have two different freeze spells. But it seems in this that like, no, you can only achieve each effect once. Which I would imagine I, you know, I would have to go through and look at everything they do, but they must cheat at that at some point. I have no idea. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, it seems like an editorial nightmare and a terrible corner to write yourself into. But it's also convenient sometimes because the staff is so powerful. Yeah, you, that you can just be like, and this is off the table because, <laughs> right? Exactly. By the way, like off off screen, yes. a different like intermediary adventure uh, i used that spell yes i used the shrinking spell on mole man because i thought for, it would for be ironic. ironic purposes that's funny <laughs> oh yes and then the other thing at the end of this first issue is that we get a time machine visit from none other than gertrude yorks from the future age 30 something yes it's what 20 years later yeah. Um, where we learned that Gertrude is the leader of the Avengers. Wild. <laughs> Armor is the leader of the X-Men. Yes. Uh, and also we have the Fantastic, Fantastic 14. Fantastic 14. Love those it. Are the, those are the main pieces of information we get about the far-flung future of 2025 or so. Mm-hmm. And we and it's, yes, so it's said that Victor Mancha, he's very dangerous. He mustn't be trusted. He must be eliminated, basically. Mm-hmm. Before he becomes uh, Victoria Justice Nickelodeon vehicle <laughs> yes, victorious, <laughs> naturally, uh, and he will yes he'll become like a super guy and he'll wipe it everyone. Now, how how exactly would that work? <laughs> <sighs> like that he wipes out everyone. That he yes like like how would he how would like he's he's strong he is a robot he has like electricity well, again, abilities. Speaking of ill defined powers, he mm-hmm. has electricity abilities which appear to include some kind of magnetism yes and electro it's electromagnetic abilities are basically how it's described and and like hacking (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i guess it's it's sort of the same question as like how can ultron be the most dangerous like murder thing that exists if he's like ultimately just a robot uh, I, I don't know maybe his skeleton is made out of vibranium and we just don't know it yeah I, he doesn't seem to be like i wouldn't say he's the most powerful member of the runaways or even like close to being the most powerful member of the runaways yeah i guess it would be like caroline carolina and zavin i yeah. guess would be the answer there um or, anyway. or possibly molly yeah i mean ev- eventually like i can certainly see yeah molly 20 years from now being the most powerful and you can if you read various x-men titles from (laughs) over the years where future x-men teams arrive and she's almost always on them it's a good bit it's a good bit um yes i i don't i don't want to go issue by issue because i don't think it's necessary but i do want to talk about the issue two cover which is very cool which is victor standing there and he's wearing like a cool sweater a turtleneck yes in a very you know modern semi-photorealistic art style mm-hmm. uh, and then in the background you have like a more classic comic images of magneto some Dr. of his Octopus. potential fathers yes which i so i guess this was sort of a mystery right or like the idea was that like 
he is the the child of someone notable. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like again, it's the kind of thing where reading it like we do, it, like it takes like half an hour to get from his introduction to learning that Ultron is his father, but when it unfolded over like four or five months in the era of like the chat message board, I'm sure it was like a huge thing of being like, who is it? Who is it? Yes, and yeah, I, I was only questioning because like I never felt I at least like from reading the books. And obviously, like, there was, there's, like, solicitations and other media stuff at the time that we're not as privy to. But it never felt to me like it was, like, he's the child of, like, he doesn't know who his father is. And his father is, like, one of, like, the 20 most notable Marvel villains. Like, it always was just, like, his dad is someone. And I think I already knew he was a cyborg, which also confused me. In terms of <laughs> fatherhood in that regard. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. But eventually, oh, so Victor ends up coming with them after they show up to basically try and kidnap him. So their, their plan is basically the future is not written in stone, a classic time travel axiom. Yes. Uh, so they decide that they're going to bring Victor on with them and either like... It's you know, time for him to be a runaway. Yes, and he basically they're like kill him if necessary. Is the implication, <laughs> and by implication I mean is directly stated in the last page of issue one. A, re- a recurring, not even a joke, but a recurring reference to ripping someone's heart out. Yeah, they certainly uh, do not have any any qualms about the youths of uh, lethal force. The youths of lethal, lethal the, force. The youths of lethal force. So true, King. Um... <laughs> And so, so they take Victor on, and like he, at this point, he's sort of like half prisoner, half new member of the team. Yeah, um, I mean, I think by the time that like his arc, like True Believers, wraps up, he's like on the team. Like he, yeah, he's certainly. not going anywhere. Yes. Um, and so then we're he is contacted by his apparent father, Doctor Doom, or no? It's it's revealed it's revealed at the end that it is Doctor Doom at the end of issue, I think, four or something like that, that his father is Dr. Doom, and (laughs) he has lured him to some storage container where his mother is kidnapped. But then, double twist, a classic Runaways double twist. It's not Dr. Doom. It's a Doombot, but it's not a Doombot because it was made by Ultron, who is his real (laughs) quote-unquote father. Uh, speaking of a classic twist and this arc, uh, I know we've already talked about how the the uh, patron was secretly Rick Jones all along, but with all the shots of like him on the phone, but not re- like it's like showing his shoes or just like the hand holding the phone. <laughs> were you also like, all right, Vaughn, are we about to go three for three? <laughs> who's mom or dad? <laughs> Is it going to Is turn going out to be, to be the president who's like pulling the strings from behind the telephone that will get like a last page reveal of being like, because X is my son slash daughter. Uh, well, I, I I thought it was like a member of the uh, it was like one member of the pride or like se- multiple members of the pride had somehow survived, and that was going to be like the the big reveal. Which it's it's interesting because that he... is what happened. It's just not Rick right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that does happen at a different point. 
Well, even at, I mean, like we said, he's already uh, alive and kicking it in disguise as uh, Chamber. Oh, right. I, was, I constantly forget about that because it has <laughs> no bearing on anything. We, it's like very strange that they did that. But yeah, so it's interesting to me. So, you know, I think we've already alluded to it at least, but it's later revealed that Chamber, who is on Excelsior, is, is in fact Jeffrey Wilder, Alex's father, in disguise. Um, and we'll get to the exact nature of that later. But it's interesting to me that they, like, because obviously, like, the pride is alive after all is a very easy path to go down. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he had to deal with a lot of, like, how do I walk this line? People probably are like, bring back the pride or like have all these theories about how the pride actually survived. But like, obviously he's not that interested in actually doing that because if he wanted to, he, he would have done it, but also he kind of did do it still. Yes. And I will say like the, like looking back on the first volume compared to this one, like the pride is holding, is holding this book back. I will, I would argue like, I, I agree. It's way better as it like, well, I, we talked about last episode, how it fe- very much feels like the first six issues were planned very tightly and it was not necessarily expected that it would continue beyond that point. And I feel that now coming into it where it's like, you need, you're going to be writing this for like an indeterminate amount of time, basically until either the sales uh, like dip off or you get tired of it. So you need like a more open-ended sort of premise and so to have them be like like the the conceit of like now that the pride is gone there's a power vacuum and all these different forces are struggling to over like who's going to get control of it and so we're the like los angeles team that makes sure that no one like steps in to fill the the void left behind by the pride that's much stronger as far as like a you can keep that thread running basically for as long as you want to or need to Yes, and also like there's it's al- it's almost an X Menish angle of like they're working in secret. Like there are still people looking for them, both with good intent and ill intent. So they they do have to sort of continue being runaways and yeah. cannot be trustful of adult figures and things like that. Like I think that is very interesting, and like that's really all that's all you need (laughs) yeah and and you don't need like this very strange like overarching idea of (laughs) which nonetheless more appearances by the gaborim in this chunk of issues than the original run possibly (laughs) the gaborim become comedy figures (laughs) well i guess they already were comedy figures but kind of them incinerating alex is the funniest single comedy is, beat in the first volume it is extremely funny when they incinerate alex um but yeah they are they are in a very weird space in this second run where people like keep going back to them and they're like we know we said we were out of power but not quite we have the power to grant you a knife <laughs> which okay speaking of the Gaborum granting powers they talk several times in this chunk of issues. I didn't go back to look to see if there were any references in the original run, but in this second volume, they say several times that like the Gaborim basically gave the original Pride their powers, which I was like, no, they didn't. <laughs> like, wasn't the whole like they pulled together these people who all already had technology or powers of various kinds. Like, I was confused yeah. about 
several references to being like the Gaborim pimped up our parents with these powers. And I was like, no, they yeah. did it. Like, is there a sense that they were somehow like enhanced by the Gaborim beyond what they were originally capable of? Or I think the, I think the main thing, I think the Gaborim were more of like a bankroll. Like they were giving money. And also I think the idea is that they are like conferring because the, the big thing with the pride originally was like, they're all sort of like, like at the forefront of their respective fields Right, like, and they're like, kind they of like giving them what it takes to succeed. Yes, I think it's sort of the idea is like they, it's, it's sort of nebulous, but that they are sort of giving them this these positions of like influence and you know helping them to that point so that they have like control over the city. I guess. Yeah, it just felt uh, like unclear and not very well articulated what exactly like what had been conferred on the pride by the Giborim other than like the promise that if you keep doing these rituals for us, um, you'll inherit the earth. <laughs> you'll inherit the ruined earth. Yes. I would agree with that. It, it It's interesting the way that the Giborim are sort of set up in this volume, because it's, it's usually like the dynamic that they're, <laughs> that they have <laughs> is like, we can't do anything. But if except for bring... the things that we can do, <laughs> what can they? They don't do anything in this volume. They I don't, don't do anything, but they promise several people like resurrection abilities. Well, that's the basically. thing. Is like I think they're. It's like, well, give us a soul, and like we can we can do something for you. I think we so idea... hungry. We so hungry. Yes, yeah, so I think the idea is that they so hungry that they are like very much depleted, especially after the last like ritual failed, mm. and that that like. And, you know, we see that at the end that they have like, it's like, we have 15 minutes left to live. Please help us. Um, which is an interesting dynamic, I think, because it makes them less of like this massive overarching, like cosmic level threat. And yeah. more it's like, like, we're here, like, but also you have to come to us and like want to deal with us. We can't just like pop out and like crush yeah. you under our massive fists because they're hungry and uh, as we all know you're not you when you're hungry amen and And this episode (laughs) (laughs) are you aware that there are comic you're not you when you're hungry snickers ads that ran in dc comics where it's like doomsday is destroying the city what are we gonna do i know we'll give him this and oh actually it was just superman but he can be a bit of a doomsday when he's hungry oh Huh. He wasn't actually that's... destroying the city, but it's like <laughs> that's concerning, though. <laughs> <laughs> you would hope that Superman's uh, good qualities are able to endure beyond being yes. hungry. His self-control, I would praise. Oh, but yes. Um, is there anything else we need to talk about with true believers? Basically, they they beat Ultron fairly handily uh, with the help of Excelsior, and then Victor, more or less officially joins the team and excelsior goes off to <laughs> star in the loners <laughs> yes mostly never be seen from again oh yes there's there's so this they do tease it i forgot how they tease it early on um where we see at the end of issue six we see fake chamber come home to the group of uh you know the squad uh and then you know, changes back into himself, and it, all we see is, like, from the neck down, like, 
a young black man saying long live the pride and so obviously we're meant to take this as alex yes which you know is a it's a fun tease and it's a tease that we (laughs) also also, yeah a well that gets gone back to a few times yes the death of alex certainly looms large over the book in less tangible ways as well but yes the fact that it, it does get teased a few times like oh what if alex really is alive and then at the end of this whole volume, or not the end of the volume, but the end of Brian K. Vaughan's run, we get a much more explicit tease, which we can talk about at the end, I guess, since you read the last few issues. I'm not sure if it's a thread that gets picked up. No. <laughs> Great. Uh, speaking of, well, uh, just to quickly address the uh, subsequent six issues written by Joss Whedon to close out the uh, the run, Brian cool K. Vaughan... <laughs> Yes, as we record this in uh, 2018, Joss Whedon is a cool guy and we are big fans. Uh, (laughs) And we will never change our minds. (laughs) We're staying Um, firm on this one. He's one of the good ones. Anyways, handpicked... But also, like, in 2018, maybe we already... Uh, Yeah, (laughs) 2018, we we already are sticking to our guns when we should maybe... (laughs) Yeah, we are remaining willfully blind. (laughs) uh anyways joss whedon known runaways fan known brian k vaughn fan handpicked by bkv to write like one last arc to close them out it is like a kind of bizarre time travel arc that that you know it's it's fine it's a decent story um what it does not do is address any of the cliffhangers that (laughs) were left with at the end of bkv's last issue including the runaways about to get apprehended by iron man which is n- <laughs> never we don't see how that situation resolves and after some digging Cheers. around i discovered that in the uh runaways saga one shot which is basically like a clip episode <laughs> to like bring you up to speed before whedon's run starts i think it's uh revealed that they do what they always do ran away sure Wait. <laughs> fascinating decision <laughs> yes and sorry, i'm just paging through here yeah and so so basically so how does the issue 30 at like is it given a definitive ending of any no, kind no it's not and because like like it came back again terry moore who um uh, certainly has uh, my respect and the the respect and love of many for his work as an indie comics creator. He's like a giant in the indies world. Uh, Strangers in Paradise, Rachel Rising are some of his like classics, but he has like a weird thing in this era of Marvel where he like comes on to take over these sort of like teen books and it's like a death knell. <laughs> they get like canceled six issues later without fail. But yeah, the so the end of number 30 is basically like they return to their own time with like someone from 1907 in tow, this like plant girl named Kara. And uh, it's not much has really happened. Like uh, Nico and Victor who have gotten together by the end of this run uh get broken up during that one because victor meets his like one true love in 1907 but otherwise it's like yeah it's like they they start their time travel in in number 25 and then get back in number 30 so nothing of like significant (laughs) yeah nothing nothing really happens as far as like yeah anything anything that would concern sort of like the long-term future of the team other than Nico and Victor break up and they have this new edition and then the series ends. Right. And I I feel like 
the like as we saw in volume one like it's pretty easy to do an ending to a runaways comic it's just like we're just gonna keep on freaking running and yes. that's just like a natural wrap up <laughs> yeah it's pretty like, much so true <laughs> Pretty, pretty much. And of course, they are like more than, although I shouldn't say that, I was about to say they more than maybe any other team are doomed to like forever be the same age, but they just got revived uh, around the time that the show was coming out and all got aged up to be like 20 somethings. So sure. There you have it. Great. (laughs) Good for them. (laughs) So let's move on to Starcross. So yes, this is the return of Takeshi Miyazawa. Is that right? Yep. I'm not saying anything wrong, am I? Well, um, I mean, I'm sure we're both saying it very wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> Just default to that. Um, but yeah, so the return of uh, of the guest artist, mm-hmm. I, I do definitely like the art better here. Um, and I'm not sure. It, I, I imagine it has to be at least partially a function of the coloring. I think, so I think... It is it is colored by Christina Strain, who's the regular colorist and also was the colorist on Spider-Man Loves Jer- Mary Jane, uh, an underrated gem series that everyone should read. Talked about this last week. Yeah. I think, though, that she also colored his cloak and dagger issues. So I'm not sure whether it's just like she or together they have determined that like a slightly different approach than what she usually does, like on Adrian Alfona's work it works better for his art or what? Cause like it, it's different, but it's not that different, but it looks a lot better than, than the first guest spot that he did. Yeah. And part of me is like, did he just improve as an artist a little bit? I mean, I think that is fair. Cause if you look like, if you compare this work to like the cover of Sentinel number one, which is only like two years prior, but it's like, almost jaw-dropping how much better uh, at least like just aesthetically and in terms of like how clean it is i think this art works a lot better it might be it might be a case of the inker as well i'm not sure like i know craig young is the inker on most of the issues throughout this run and i think on this issue as well i think it's pretty much all 24 more or less and i'm not sure if he was the inker when and again, in the in the first volume when the Miyazawa issues came up, but yeah, I there were a few things I noticed in Miyazawa's style that changed. Like um, he uses sort of it's very manga esque, where it'll be like insert shots, and the background will like there won't be a a background. It'll just be like yeah, a, like a color a grade. color or like a pinhole background. Yeah. I still really, I think my main problem is I don't like how he draws Molly, like uh, specifically. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm fine with it. I don't really notice a big uh, difference, TBH. Is it, I don't know if it's just her eyes being far apart or something, or just like the expressions <laughs> that he gives her, but like... He does, she, I mean, he does some wonky expressions from time to time. There's no, there's no denying it, but, uh, but again, I, by and large, I'm a fan. She feels the most like... <laughs> an amateur like uh how to draw manga book right <laughs> she came out of that kind of thing not right. that not that the work itself is like the work of an amateur but it's like this is like the template that an amateur would be working from but yes yeah, so and we get it we get a couple of major things in the first issue of this little arc which is not that long i don't is it it's not only two issues is it uh it is only two issues yes huh. there you go keeping it tight um 
The first is that we get a, a sort of continuance of the Carolina Nico thing, which is implied at the end of the first volume. Oh, I see you've sent me an image in the chat here, <laughs> and it appears that... It's timely and relevant. Snickers. Oh, oh sorry. Wonder Woman is doomsday. <laughs> yes, my apologies. Uh, retraction <laughs> issued at this juncture. Um, just to, to bring it back to the Miyazawa for uh, a discussion for a, a moment, and then we can keep breaking down this yeah. Snickers ad. Um, so in his original guest spot in volume one of Runaways, David Newbold was the inker and Brian Reber was the colorist. Uh, and I believe I have already been... Uh, forthright in my preference for christina strain's colors over brian reber's in these books um i don't recall if david newbold was the inker previously or not but so it's a completely different inker and colorist working over miyazawa's lines which can make a big difference and i think that like look just looking at these issues versus numbers uh 11 and 12 from the first volume demonstrate that pretty clearly yes i would i would be inclined to agree now this Snickers ad, no, there's, there's nothing to say about the Snickers ad. Other than that Except it's like, that it's freaking hilarious. Yes, and that it's like, this woman is really being a crank, isn't she? <laughs> to the point that she I believe, turns into Doomsday. I believe they did several. There's like one one with Aquaman. There's one with like the whole Justice League. They, Yeah, but that one is the one I remember like reading <laughs> monthly comics at the time that seemed to be in like every single issue. <laughs> To be fair, well, what a great bit. <laughs> you really aren't you when you're hungry, if you think about it. <laughs> you get really cranky when you're, I, like, it, it's very specific about it. Like, it's not just the usual, you're not you when you're hungry. It's, uh -huh. you get really cranky. <laughs> uh, but like anyways. Cranky Kong himself. Uh, yeah, these, these two issues serve a kind of weird function of writing Carolina out of the book for, like, ten issues. Yeah, I, this book is very interesting to me because the sort of editorial like direction or planning of it can seem very opaque at times like it's not like it'll be other times it'll be like oh like a character is leaving a book and like this makes sense like their arc is kind of concluded or like they're just sort of like shuffling things around until they go do something else but I feel like the just the way that this is plotted is sometimes a little bit like and it's not bad by any means it's just like it makes me curious why they chose to do certain things when they did yeah I, I i am a little confused by the decision to take carolina out of action for like a significant chunk of this run and it's like this is issue i guess this is issue seven so like they, we've sort of moved past the initial six yeah but i don't like why remove her is it just to give her like more of a character because i think she does like get more of a character over the course of like her time away for the yeah, most part kind of but we only see her like once and this is it's it's just like a weird it's a weird decision to make because it does feel like by and large this run like this second volume has more space to develop the characters a bit mm -hmm. so it's weird to be like all right we're gonna take carolina like off the board completely and then the have least her come back character. and have like all of her development have happened like off page yeah <laughs> she's just gonna true. come back and like kind of be a new character yeah i mean like <laughs> part of me is like was it like an editorial hand down that like <laughs> there were too many women in the group i <laughs> 
but like that doesn't seem true because there were like no yeah I, there were I always don't... mostly women and it, it just seems like i don't know like the the whole reason the book is popular is because it's like doing weird things that the editorial staff probably would never have like asked for yes <laughs> um, it, it feels very unfocused grouped although that is like the the like classic way to ruin something that was good before it <laughs> before it got big is that it gets big and then all of a sudden the people who are like answerable for whether or not it's profitable have a vested interest and are like what if there's too many chicks in this thing if we thought about adding more in guys there. <laughs> uh, but yes uh the so the short the short uh, long and the short of this arc is that uh, Carolina's fiance Zavin the Skrull arrives um, because her home planet and the Skrulls have been at war and Carolina's parents promised her to Zavin's parents like before she was born or like very early on in her childhood and, and it so, was like a funny trick and uh, they they said gotcha basically yes there's an insane joke where carolina says get away from me you freak and he says you freak oh, is my uncle yeah. carolina my name is Savin. <laughs> you freak e-w-e apostrophe f-a-r-e-e-k and doing like a very manga-ish like exaggerated pose like i did laugh at that I oh i laughed at it certainly ah you freak Yes, I also, like, the pose is very funny because I can't imagine it, like, in an anime, like, the way he would say it. Like, it's, like, very declarative and, like, self-important to a certain extent. Uh, it's a good bit. Uh, it is a good bit. I like Zavin as a character, although, again, like, as far as page time, it's pretty limited. Yes, but I, I like I like him a lot as well um shall we shall we talk about the the weirdness of zevin as he relates to his romance with carolina yeah it's uh, sure (laughs) you go go off and then i'll uh i'll offer my thoughts okay so basically what we see is so like the big problem is like carolina's like well i can't be with you zevin because i'm gay and then Zavin is like, well, like gender is meaningless to the scrolls, so so I can simply like become a woman and that's fine. And she's like, oh, okay, I'm okay <laughs> with like, this. She's like, you're right, that is fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> to be fair, um, and uh, yes, and so we don't really get a full sort of exploration of Carolina's motivations here. I don't think, like, certainly, I think she feels uh, a like a responsibility to the inhabitants of her planet that she has like never been to. And so like she's willing to do this, but also like she does seem to be in into it. She's definitely not, not into it. <laughs> like, I think that's pretty clear, but yeah, again, it's, it's like we said, Carolina is kind of the least explored characters in some way. And even like, like her sexuality has kind of been subtext to this point, not subtle subtext, but you know subtext yes it 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 was only heavily implied and only in one issue really i can't remember if there were more references to it earlier but for the most part it's mainly just like it was mentioned once and then gets explored more heavily during this arc 
but also, um, so the thing about Zavin, he, I'll, I'll, I'll call him he because I believe he refers to himself as a he, like, changes his form into a woman, and then we sort of, this gets sort of explored and come back to a few times throughout the book, where, like, we, the first thing, let me see exactly what he says... Yes, he said, Carolina scrolls are shapeshifters. For us, changing gender is no different than changing hair color. So the implication there, I, at least to me, when I first read it, was like, oh, like the scrolls are basically like asexual or like genderless. Yeah. And so like Zavin can be like, can move between genders and not like see that as like an issue or like even process that as like something that's like important which is an interesting idea and i think like yes. as jay said it's just what he's feeling at the time sure just my thoughts man yeah wait <laughs> how do you know how because do that's you know the menu that? song from nba 2k14 <laughs> oh the ruler's back certainly <laughs> Uh, oh wait the song that i thought began basketball season has returned but is in fact escobar season has returned but i always was like it's funny that he says that like that's the perfect thing to have open <laughs> it's, it's incredible that, that he says basketball booted up and and jay is just like basketball season has returned <laughs> well as we all know basketball isn't easy these jokes are only for us <laughs> Anthony Bennett can contribute. Uh, <laughs> Not only are these only for us, like, even if, like, <laughs> they're not even, like, in the purview of the people listening to the podcast, probably. Um, but yes, going back to the point. So, we get that as, like, an explanation and sort of, like, a convenient, like, wrap-up of this idea. Yeah. Um, and Carolina leaves. And then when we, but when we go back to... So we see them, I think, only like a couple of times during their absence, yeah, and then eventually like they in come space back. Being like, "I miss home," and uh, and Zavin being like, "It's okay though, because the stars are now going to play Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds," <laughs> which I didn't know had any connection to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was literally just an accident. A great bit, <laughs> um, but yes. And so what we see from Zavin, for the most part, is that like he will generally like present as male like the majority of the time and then like basically like when he's like with Carolia he will sort of shit and kind of shift between the two sort yeah. of forms that he does he seem to, to still default to male and really yes. only turns in like only only turns female basically when he's like alone with Carolina yes and I I, I don't even know if I have an opinion on this. I just think it's very interesting. And it's <laughs> it is, also something... it's definitely an interesting idea and like a good idea for like a, a shape shifting alien. It's it's like a good take on scrolls. Yes. And like and a shape shifting like a teenager, like sort of having not confusion, but sort of having some like malleability in their gender identity, certainly. But yeah, it's very interesting. And also Molly sort of like it, it gets addressed very explicitly in one scene where it's like why like why are you a boy like if you're supposed to be a girl and basically Zavin is just like i'm like a new thing and <laughs> like you're just gonna kind of and it's like carolina has like learned to accept this and like she it was okay with it so like 
you're gonna have to accept it too i guess mm-hmm. which is like which i kind of like as like an answer it's just like like i don't have like he doesn't have to fit into any sort of like established paradigm obviously like because like it is within the realm of fantasy and i mean like the idea of like a trans character in a mainstream comic i don't imagine was i i mean i don't know of any examples of that really yeah um, and yeah it's it's almost like so ahead of its time that it doesn't even realize <laughs> that it's doing that. Yeah, it's like it, like when I was reading, I was like, I can't possibly believe that like you are so woke <laughs> that like you are pulling this off somehow. Like this has to be an accident. It, it's it's weird because it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. Where like I think I think like the the consideration of like gender and gender fluidity is kind of what he wants to talk about. But at the same time, like to have having like Victor calling Zavin like shemale and things like oh, that. Oh yes, is well, like... there's that. <laughs> there's yeah. certainly a lot of like casual, not slurs per se, but casual homophobic language. Um, but anyways, yes, I I, I think it's and it's not, it's not as though there are any like missteps. Like obviously there's stuff like that, but in terms of like the ha- the direct handling of the character, um, because like I think it is like. The same with, like, the way Chase uses, like, gay as a negative adjective. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's, like, it's within reason that a character would say that. And, like, they are admonished about, like, for it to some degree. And it's, like, I I fully buy that that Victor would say that. Yeah. Uh, I I do wonder if some of it is, like, lessons learned from why. Because this would be after some of the, like, earliest uh like discussions of like trans identities and why i wonder if he like just basically like listened to the feedback and was like i'm gonna like handle it a bit better with this character even though the circumstances are different yeah and it's it's just it's very nuanced and like like we said like it doesn't seem like that's totally like he sort of it's kind of incredible that he doesn't like do something <laughs> like offensive is basically I think what we're getting at. Like yeah. <laughs> I think he is handling it well in the way that he is intending to handle it, but also like this is from like the mid two thousands and it's just it's it would be understandable if there was something that like made you go like, ooh. Yeah. And and it's not it doesn't make me go, ugh. But it's just it's just interesting to me that that were that was like that was the way he cho- he chose to handle it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, is there anything else that we need to uh, talk about with no. Starcross? We're no, we're already moving significantly so. more slowly than our last episode. <laughs> well, it's a bigger chunk of issues, and uh, frankly, like better in my opinion, and and constructed better, and like more worth talking about in like a more granular way. And th- there's just more ideas. Like really, the first eighteen issues are kind of one story. Uh, and these are these are much more episodic. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and I think that I think reading this, like we, we were sort of talking about yesterday, was just like, why were people into this? <laughs> or not yesterday, <laughs> but last week. Yeah, like sort of the like I don't quite get like what the hype is, and but now I can understand like if you're reading this, even though I didn't, <laughs> even though I was not reading this at the time, and like was into it based solely on the strength of the first volume. This feels more like what the promise of the book could be. And it does feel like, like I think a lot of his work, it does feel like a TV show in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And like, you, so at the start of this, uh, 
this next arc, the uh, this is the cloak and dagger East, story. Yes, East Coast West Coast is the title oh, of it. Of course it is. I was just about to complain about <laughs> all of the like New York versus LA stuff in it. It's funny. I like it. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's true. There it's is fine. A, the one the one part that really got me is when Gert is basically like New York sucks and I don't get why anyone would like it. And Victor's like, maybe it's because you're not special here. And he's like looking over at three other teenage girls who all have like dyed purple hair and glasses <laughs> and like weird hats. Ah <laughs> oh, me. A good bit. Um, is, is this speaking of weird hats, like the fashion throughout, we haven't really talked about it all, but what a what a mid aughts book by and large. Yes, I mean I'm looking at a, a issue right now where Chase is wearing like it seems like dark jeans, suspenders, and then a green long sleeved shirt over a blue button up. <laughs> <laughs> and Victor is wearing like a camo hat. <laughs> And like a baseball tee with a pocket. <laughs> like, there are some. There are some looks. Uh, they're serving. They are. They are undeniably serving. Um, there are some looks throughout the books. Is uh, all. All I have to say. Oh, sorry. There's something very important I forgot to add, which is that Chase's green shirt says, "I do my own stunts." Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, as I was described in a tweet. Sorry, I couldn't hear you over the sound of how epic I am. <laughs> um, I am Googling because I am wondering to myself if there's any chance that this storyline was influenced by, like, the Ray Rice elevator footage. What? <laughs> Isn't it? Did... Okay, for, let me, first of all, let me help you out. No. <laughs> oh, 2014. Yeah, so yeah. That's, a, that's a firm no. Uh, okay, never mind. <laughs> it just feels kind of ripped from the headlines. Oh, where it was I like see. Sorry. This, I, this black I man not, like beat his white partner. what you were talking about. <laughs> it, the, the, like, the, so the plot of these like general issues is there appears to be like grainy footage of uh cloak assaulting dagger and he maintains that like it wasn't him he wasn't even there when it happened and he brings in the runaways to help clear his name and i was like there's there's just something that feels very like law and order about this mm-hmm. it, as far as like it seems like something must have happened that was like oh this gives me an idea yeah i mean also first of all it'd be wild if it was like we from the headlines but the, the like the twist on it was like what if Ray but Rice was innocent? <laughs> <laughs> like that would be a choice. <laughs> that would that would be a choice. But yeah, I can I can definitely see what you're getting at here. Um, and it's I'm I'm kind of surprised that it's not something that they bring up more explicitly, because like you either like you know having like a fake TMZ or something like that, because it does make sense in the context. You're definitely right. But yes, the like you said, the general overarching story of this is that there is like security footage of of someone who appears to be cloak like attacking dagger and putting her in the hospital uh which cloak obviously denies and he has to come to the runaways to clear his name um and this pair of issue or no this is several issues but this uh arc 
is where we start to introduce a lot of mainstream Marvel heroes into this book. Yes, I mean, the fact, yeah, going going to New York gives them a chance to really go absolutely hog wild with the cameos. Yes, primarily we get Captain America, Spider-Woman, and Luke Cage all trying to, uh, to bust things cloak. up. Uh, also, so the, the thing I want to talk about was that the scene of them playing Monopoly <laughs> in the hostel, I feel yes. like... That is the kind of interaction that was missing from yeah. the first volume. Like, this moment where it's like, they're not doing anything. They're not talking about, like, the plot mechanics or anything, like, more directly. It's like, you know, like, Chase wants to be the thimble because he thinks it's a shot glass. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I think of it as, and I think that, like, people generally think of it as, like, a playing baseball moment because this kind of thing is like was sort of most popularized in X-Men comics where it was like, right. they're going to spend the first like five pages of this issue playing baseball at the mansion before like whatever kicks off the story happens. And then like, you know, that's what makes people fall in love with the characters as much as like the, the crazy adventures. Um, and, and I think eventually it sort of expands into like play like whole, whole like issues of playing baseball, which is kind of how I would characterize like, well, actually, no, that, that's different. I was going to say York's issue where he, like, just has a conversation with Beth naked for the whole issue is, is like, in some ways a playing baseball issue, but also it's, like, the emotional climax of the book. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a little different. But I think, I think that it's something that for sure was missing from the first volume. I think it's something that's missing from, like, a lot of superhero comics now. Like, for some reason, they've really gotten away from that kind of thing. And and it's it's like the bedrock of what makes you love the characters. Yeah, exactly. And that's almost something I associate with anime in some ways. Like, not that you really have those, like, like you do have definitely have downtime moments. And, like, a lot of times, like, there will be sort of those will be used as comedic beats mm-hmm. um, where it's just, like, the characters are doing something and, like, something silly happens or, like, someone says something dumb. But, like, that sort of interplay between the characters and like sort of developing the relationship between them that way is a very anime thing like i'm thinking of like i'm watching this anime called high q right now which is like about a boys volleyball team and, the and they mostly right huh <laughs> sorry go on <laughs> no 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 what was that i said and the poems no they i heard write. that and what does that mean <laughs> like haikus oh oh sure um, we had a long off mic conversation about this last week. <laughs> I know. I, I remember that we talked about it last week. But anyways, the point being like, and even that's almost a different thing because they don't really talk about anything other than volleyball. <laughs> but like, there are just like these little moments and it's very good about integrating. So like, you know, it'll be two characters having like a serious conversation about a plot thing. And then, and I think we have talked about this before as well. Like, seeing how different characters with different personalities react to different like circum react to the circumstances in different ways i think is like a very easy way to like inject both levity and also like character moments where it's like you understand like this is how this character is yeah and i i just i I like what they're doing with the characters in this in this volume and speaking of characters, Wolverine and Iron Man then show up. <laughs> speaking of characters, Pusher Man also makes his debut. Oh, I forgot about Pusher Man. Pusher PM Man. <laughs> what? 
Uh, his like assistant calls him PM at one point, <laughs> <laughs> which I like. Can't That's deny. Yes. Yeah, so basically, we we find out that the person, whoever it is that um, attacked Dagger is probably using some this special like new drug that's making the rounds yes mutant growth hormone i believe a brian michael bendis creation sure it's like all it's all over marvel comics at this point it's like an alias plot line about mgh there's a daredevil plot line about mgh i think it's like a big thing in spider-man for a couple issues like marvel knights spider-man oh no plot Ah. Well, I was I got confused because there is certainly <laughs> an issue of Marvel Knights Spider-Man where they trick the absorbing man into snorting cocaine, which turns his entire body into cocaine. Then they use a fan to blow him apart, collect him up in dime bags and sell him. <laughs> what happens, you ask? He is excreted as waste from all the users and reconstitutes himself in the sewers of New York. <laughs> of course, like one does. But yes, <laughs> I've completely lost that train of thought. Oh, MGH. It's also the plot of the movie Project Power. Oh, there you have it. With Jamie Foxx and JGL. You haven't seen that? Uh, no, I have not. That's, you should watch that. He's got it's, fire it's, powers? Uh, I forget. Yes, I think I believe Jamie Foxx has fire powers. <laughs> Ringing yes. endorsement. Uh, I forget. <laughs> well, it's a real, like, it's a real a movie you watch, you're like, that was good. And uh, then you immediately forget all of it. <laughs> um so you should watch it then you'll be like that was good uh yes the so yes the idea then again this is not germane to anything but the the idea with project power is like you can take it and like there's like a decent chance it'll kill you but like otherwise you'll manifest some kind of power and i think it's i don't know how mgh works exactly but i think it's the same way where it's like the same like if you take it multiple times the same power will manifest itself in you every time you take it yeah it's kind of unclear it's like it's like distilled from like an enzyme excreted by mutants sure and then like drugified (laughs) uh so it like gets you high and it also gives you powers and i think it depends like which mutant it came from what powers you get ah interesting okay the uh, sorry, the fandom uh, Marvel page tells me that some sources include Dazzler, Necra Sinclair, the Owl, Spider Woman, Whirlwind, and for his own use, Magneto, <laughs> doing the sure. the old self harvest. <laughs> oh, wild. So yes, they then also Spider Man shows up. Like so many people yeah, show up in and this it's, arc. It's chill. Also in this arc, Chase reveals that he beat a carjacker to death and dumped his body in a landfill. What an insanely dark turn. <laughs> yes, and which later gets walked back also, I will does say. Does it? It does. I didn't um, notice. So, but yes. So let's talk about Pusher Man. <laughs> I'm just trying must. to... I'm seeing if I can find like a full page splash shot of Pusher Man so I can... So I can see exactly what he's wearing. <laughs> I believe okay. he has a big PM belt, if I'm not he, mistaken. He has a large PM belt buckle. He is wearing a purple hat with like a green feather in it. Mm-hmm. He has big glasses. He's he's very like like early aughts conception of a pimp. Yes. He has right down the middle goatee. He has fur lined cape <laughs> with like a cla- like a yeah. thing going across the front. 
he has a red rose like on his a lapel. Victorian suit on underneath <laughs> with like a cravat. <laughs> yeah, he has like four. He has like a four-piece suit underneath, and then purple pants. And did you already mention that he's wearing some prototype fistagons? Uh, yes, he's also wearing <laughs> some fists. So yes, and he is the, the guy. He lives in like a dimensional hallway. Yeah, he's a big fan of the pride. Yes, well, as he puts it. That's off the chain, yo. I'm a huge fan of your folks. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Just some authentic pusherman dialogue. Well, I mean, oh, he's also wearing red platform shoes. Undeniably. But yes, and so this is a, it's a sort of common thing that gets used a few times uh, in the rest of this book where it's like they represent themselves as like working for the pride or like being the new pride mm-hmm. and using that to sort of like sell their bonafides to villains in order to like get things out of them uh and it works and it does Um, work let me just have a look here i got mad respect for your fam but no uppity boy starts talking trash on my turf without getting the back of a pimp hand Mm. and he's of course referring capital h and he's referring (laughs) to his fisticons which he has rebranded as pimp hands oh what what a figure um the story is eventually he walks away and like is never seen again yeah he he says like he says something to the effect of like i think this is the start of a beautiful friendship and it's never heard from again (laughs) that is exactly correct i mean we'll talk about the provost shortly (laughs) a truly insane character we will yes this this story wraps up it was like it was the orderly who's taking care of dagger at the hospital who like beat her up to get closer to her slash has like some some compulsion and is like you made me do it yes which is also like it's a weird um it's 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 a very tv-ish plot i is what i will say yeah again like again kind of like law and ordery yeah and like almost like like i watched manhunter last night which is like a like hannibal or uh, like uh it's in the hannibal verse yeah the hannibal and, like, and that's that, that's really like what it feels like, where it's like, it was this guy. Yeah. Did I send you that Mickey Rourke tweet about Law and Order SVU? No. You, <laughs> you worked on that. He discovered Law and Order SVU, uh, or sorry, it's an Instagram thing where he tweets, or he, he like posted a poster for Law and Order SVU and then wrote like a lengthy praise for Law and Order SVU where he says things like, no actors working in film today can hold... <laughs> Varishka's jockstrap, uh, credits football for Chris Maloney's physicality and like how that contributes to the performance. Uh, I think he says BD Wong is sexy? Question mark. He he like heaps praise on the entire cast basically, and then wraps it up being like way better than this Marvel crap. Sure, sure, uh, Mick. It's it's quite something. He also mentions several times that he works out in his living room. <laughs> Very, okay, I, have the, I have the full text here. <laughs> oh, Ray Winstone comments, great show, Mickey, well said. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'll just breeze through this. I heard the show has been on has been on for 20 years. I never knew anything about it before until the lockdown since I have all my gym equipment in my living room six months ago while I've been doing all my training at home. Isolating, I click on this show just by accident and curiosity. And I have to say, I've never seen such terrific acting ever on television. 
each show that I've seen, I've probably seen a thousand of them by now. The producing is terrific, the direction is top class, and most of all, I'm really impressed with this ensemble of highly talented actors. Mershka Hargitay. Very few, if any, actresses in films these days that can hold her jockstrap, as you say. <laughs> I also took notice to the classy and highly talented intense Stephanie March, as well as B.D. Wong. But he was most surprised, tremendously impressed with the charisma, the attitude, and swag and sincerity that Ice-T brings to his role. Of course. So, <laughs> shout-outs to you, Mick. <laughs> shout-outs to you, Mick. So, a couple of things that happen... Gerd and Victor get sushi with Spider-Man, but a, a one major thing that happens is that Nico kisses Chase. Yes. Because that's, like, kind of her thing. Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of her thing. <laughs> which which she also acknowledges as well. And he's just like, buh? And she's like, oops. And she's like, <laughs> I won't, or, like, if you don't tell Gert about this, I won't tell her about how you beat a carjacker to death and buried right. his body in a landfill. <laughs> yes. Again, that was a crazy turn to <laughs> introduce. Yes. It's, it's something that Chase says as, um... As like a form, uh, as a form of boasting to Pusher Man. Yes, he's like, I don't need any fistigons. I'll beat you to death with my bare hands, just like I did this guy. And then yes, Nico he... is like, that was like a lie, right? And he's like, <laughs> I raised yes. my eyebrow uh, meaningfully for the <laughs> listeners at home. Yes, and and now now I'm questioning myself because I feel like there's a late issue where like someone's like, didn't you kill a guy? And he and he says something to the effect of. He's talking about like his dad beating him, and he was like, mm-hmm. he has he sort of like made up stories in his head to like justify why his dad was beating him. And he so I does think... he does talk about that, I recall. And so I I thought that the implication there was like that this story was made up, and he had sort of like internalized it because of his abuse. That uh, that could be. Because because he's planning to sacrifice himself to the Giborim because he's like, actually, I'm innocent. And right. Nico's like, didn't you tell me a story about how you murdered a guy? <laughs> so, and then also, like, Wolverine, Captain America, and Iron Man show up at the church where, like, Cloak's friend <laughs> lives to try and take Molly away. And then they sort of, like, fight off. Molly fights off Wolverine. Uh, there's a sort of oblique reference to M-Day. Yes. Says, like, so wait, and I was reading about MD earlier. Is it true that like almost no like major X Men got depowered? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I think there was a, like a list at one point that that had a bunch of people, but yeah, it affected like basically no mutants who were currently starring in an X Men book at that time were affected. Yeah, because I I was reading I was just reading something about it. And I was like, yeah, like Blob, one of the lo- like the longest tenured character to get depowered. And I was like, what? Because I thought the whole thing was like that, like this was the real deal. And like, well, Blob did debut in like powers. a very early true issue. So that's not that's sure, not terribly fair. surprising. But also, yeah, that like like you couldn't even like throw a like a side character on like the main X-Men team in there. But that's just me. I'm just looking to see if there is a is a comprehensive list here anywhere. Okay, the U.S. government estimated 198 mutants catalog, but acknowledged that there were a few thousands, around 300. Oh, around 300,000 individual. What? I don't <laughs> understand what I'm reading here. 
So the one the one ninety eight was not like a hard number, right? But uh, but a general approximation, and yeah, it didn't it didn't as far as I can recall affect anyone who was like actively starring in a uh, in an X Men book at the time. That is very strange and pretty weak. Very very convenient for uh, all of them. Yes. Oh, I'm I'm wrong. Richter lost his powers over in uh, X Factor. Not Richter. The Rick Jones of <laughs> whatever you just said. X Factor. X Factor. There's so many. Nice. Excelsior. Anyways, so yes, this this uh, thing ends. There's a brief sort of again. There's a tease to not Alex, Alex, mm-hmm. and like even even the way that like the unseen like hands and like arms are drawn. Like yeah, kind of actually... scrawny. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Like, if you actually, like, put Jeffrey Welder's head on, like, that body, everyone would be like, what? Um, But yes, so we move into, oh, yes, Dead Ringers, a truly bizarre one-off. Yeah. To to the point that I assumed that this character was previously established. I do not believe that that's the case. This is his only appearance, I checked. (laughs) Which is insane. So Molly, it's like they're at the, I think they're they're the LA River or the aqueducts, and then she gets like washed into the sewers basically, yes. and stumbles across the School of Seven Bells, <laughs> which is <laughs> the Seven Bells hanging off of the training dummy that they use to practice pickpocketing. He is like a Fagin type character who abducts children, forces them to become pickpockets under the threat that they will be turned into stone if they don't. Yes, please hold on. He is a magician and he, he fits is? all of his. Yes! How else would he turn them to stone? He's got those like collars that he. I thought he was like a tech guy that no, they he... think is a magician and his like wand is like a remote. Oh, I don't think so. He he enrolled in the black arts is what he said. Oh. Um he I has like enrolled a in the black arts. <laughs> <laughs> he gave up his tenure and enrolled in the black arts. That's what he says. Oh. Yeah, yeah, he has like a whip thing and a yes. wand. And he fits all of his charges with collars which he warns will turn you into stone. And 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 all of this, to be clear, like is established in this issue and does not extend <laughs> beyond this issue. And then the kids decide it's so weird because that's like this is the only like because it's almost like a hero's journey kind of thing where it's like a one off about one character. Yeah. But then, like, this never happens for any of the other characters, and it's so strange that this is, like, the one where it's like, this story must be told. Yeah, it is It is a weird decision to include. I'm trying to page through and find a joke that I seem to recall is in this issue that is deeply suspect. Is it where he says, where the deuce is my wand? <laughs> like Stewie Griffin? <laughs> It is uh, anyways, not where he says where the deuce is my wand. It is a joke about the wand, though, um, mm-hmm. where it's like Molly is about to make a comment to the effect of like, is that a wand in your pocket and gets cut off? Uh? Anyway, so they, they eventually turn on the provost. They basically like just beat him up and then steal his exactly? wand. Yes. And then they break they break the wand and then he turns into stone is how it ends. Yes for some reason (laughs) yes and i actually i do like the ending where so molly is like 
like now you now that all of you guys like her fellow pickpockets are free you guys can join our team and like we live underground in the La Brea Tar Pits and everyone's like uh we'd much rather go home to our families (laughs) and she's just like oh yeah which I I do like as a moment yeah and then they they sort of double down on it by having her like have this dream that like this whole thing like has just been one bad dream and she like wakes up and her parents are there and she's safe which is you know is sad yeah uh all lots of lots of weird dream stuff especially in the later issues goes a little why the last man on us with, with all the dreams truly is there anything did she find your provost joke? Uh, i i don't i'm not sure if it was a joke she says something about how like nico says that most people are magic but they need a tool to bring it out that's probably why the teacher keeps that little wand in his and then she gets cut off and i i'm like is this somehow a joke or or like I, I, think, I don't know. I think that qualifies. <laughs> like the mention of a tool, <laughs> right? Um, we get parental guidance, which is a very weird arc on a couple of levels. This is this is like the Jeffrey uh, story. Jeffrey, young thug. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> just what I was feeling at the time. <laughs> just my thoughts. So, yes, yeah, so, and we also get a quick interlude with Zavin and Carolina where she's like, I'm worried about them. Right, what we talked about earlier. Yes, but then, yes, we get this reveal, a truly wild reveal, where, so Alex, which we see at the very, very beginning of the entire book, mm-hmm. Alex, like, plays this superhero RPG, which, like, seems like a mix of a tabletop game and a video game. It's, yeah, it's... It's, like, kind of like Neverwinter Nights, I guess, would be the comparison. <laughs> but for superheroes. Uh, um, I read I read an interview with Vaughn where they asked him about it, and he made a reference to Crimson Winds. Ah, of course. Well, I'll leave you to look that up. Um, so, yes, basically, the plot of this is that the people that Alex plays video games with... <laughs> Who are all like, who are all buddies and like, all hang out together after Alex disappears. He, they somehow find out that Alex was like the son of a member of members of the Pride. Oh yes, they they track down Alex's journal and then they use a spell from the abstract to bring, to try and bring Alex back, like basically like from the moment he got killed. Um, but instead, they bring back Jeffrey Wilder, who returns with the line, my name is Jeffrey Wilder, and what the hell is a noob? <laughs> uh, the game he actually referred to as Crimson Skies, which... I believe that's a... Like, isn't that like a flight? A tabletop game originally, but then just like an action, like arcade... F- yeah, flight sim. Flight sim. So I don't... Uh, yeah, what's the what a comparison there? I guess because it's a tabletop? I don't know. I guess, yeah. Anyways, but no, it's um, a board I, game. It's not... I don't know. Sorry, it's worth carry noting. on. I'm, I just wanted to point out, it's not even shown in like a full spread, but a guy does get turned into a skeleton. Yes, uh, his his uh, humorous, I believe, is shown in uh, all its glory. So yeah, so the basic plot of this is that Jeffrey Wilder has been <laughs> brought in from the 1980s, like young Jeffrey Wilder, um... He has, like, basically gathered all of these people to, like, be the new pride. They hack into Victor and use him to, like, monitor everyone. And then, and what's their ultimate goal again? They think that the pride were secretly heroes. So they think that they're just, like, 
doing what the what Jeffrey needs them to do to like carry on the good work that that the pride was doing already. Yes, and and what's and Jeffrey's goal is to, to secure uh, the ruined world for himself, resurrect uh, Alex and his wife, and right. do whatever he needs to with the, whoever he needs to to get that accomplished. Yes, and we we get the new we get like um, this is where we get the return of the Gib- the Gaborim who are now like in their own like little dimensional pocket which is a running theme in this book yeah um and like like <laughs> next said door earlier, neighbors to pusher man basically and like we said earlier like they're like pretty depowered like they it's like they can it's all they can do to sort of hang out in this area and they need souls is the long and the short mm-hmm. of it um we see molly has a dupe plushie <laughs> of course and also she has so, she has some other reference to wolverine and dupe being her favorite superheroes although she's she's soured on wolverine yes she sours on wolverine um oh there's also this is going back a little bit but uh there is a free comic book day runaways slash x-men one shot which is just a little story about the x-men coming to los angeles and fighting the runaways because they want to take molly and to join the x school classic um not not much else to add about that. <laughs> yeah, this this arc is like it's so wild and just like, in terms of like weirdly long. It feels like too. Yes, um, we get another like resurrected Alex tease where it's actually Jeffrey in disguise. It's yeah, it's 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 really all over the place. Carolina comes back eventually. Like in this arc, this is where we get like a lot of the teen angst stuff with like. Because at, at this right, point, it comes out. yeah, like basically Jeffrey and the new pride show up to like sow the seeds of discord by exposing like all the secrets that have been piling up over the course of the run up to this point. Right. Mainly Nico kissing Chase. Oh, I, we, we didn't even mention earlier on that um, Gert and Chase have are like a full time couple throughout this whole run. Yes. And which is not the most believable couple, but. You know, gotten together after uh, Gert gave him mouth to mouth. Yes, Classic exactly. Maneuver. Also, isn't she for like fourteen? Uh, <laughs> unclear. I think she's like one or two years younger than he is for sure. He's the oldest, and mm-hmm. then and he turns eighteen like towards the end of this run. Yes, after Gert's dead, so it's fine. Oh, I mean, <laughs> the spoilies. <laughs> Yes, spoilies. Uh, but that's that is the long of the short of what what matters in this arc, <laughs> other than Carolina and Zavin returning and sort of becoming uh, members of the yeah, group. rejoining the team. Yes, and we think that um, it's it. There's like this is like also like a million misdirects, and also they do the same thing they did in the first volume, where the ending looks like someone has been killed. And then it's immediately walked back <laughs> in like the first four pages Actually, of the next issue, fine. which yes. is like the worst, the worst move. He also reuses a trick here. You're referring to uh, Nico appears to be shot. It's later revealed to be uh, Zavin in disguise as Nico able to take the bullet because as a, sh- a shapeshifter, he can rearrange his vital organs to not be hit. I'm pretty sure Vaughn does the exact same thing in his Mystique book. I, it, I've i read like a few issues of it 
and I believe that he there's something like she puts them all like in her legs, like she moves all her vital organs down into her legs so that she can get shot in the chest. Just like a weird idea to be like, this is too too good of an idea to not use twice. <laughs> yeah, I love it so much. Um, something another thing I wanted to talk about. Oh, um, this is I I didn't read the letters pages. I don't know if you had them in your editions. Um, for the most part, I did not read them, but there was one that really stuck out to me <laughs> that I wanted to bring up. Um, so like there's basically a section each one called the hot seat, which is like one question is posed to like the entire creative team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this, in issue 17, the question is who's the one collaborator you'd love to make a comic with? Uh, BKV says David Mazzuchelli. Um, other people Good say pick. Jeff Loeb mix misspelled John Romita senior, Bill Watterson, Alan Moore, and Adrian Alfona says, always thought how cool it would be if Woody Allen were to write a comic. <laughs> I'd so want a piece of that. That won't happen, though. Oh, Adrian. Just, just a fantastic bit. Also, Adrian, since we're Adrian. already talking about uh, letters pages, there's also another mention where it's what summer movie of 2007 are you most looking forward to? <laughs> uh-huh. A lot of... A lot of Spider-Man 3, a lot of Transformers. I was going to say, is that Spider-Man 3? <laughs> yes, and but Brian K. Vaughn says, will Joss Whedon's Wonder Woman be out by then? <laughs> Maybe his Batgirl. Which I just thought was funny. Um, I did see one of these hot seat things in from the last issue where they're talking about like where where Runaways will be in 10 years. Right. Which is funny to see because because in 10 years, it was, of course, a TV show. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of like, it's like Molly is leading the group is basically what all of them say. Um, but yes, and so let's just quickly talk about issue 18, the cover of which it's a really, it's a cool cover. Um, it sort of has the runaways themselves at the bottom and they're all like hanging out and hugging. And the top is like very stark against like a blue background. Oh yeah, one of these runaways uh, will die, that one? Yes, it says one of these runaways is about to die. Um, which is, it's, it's a really cool cover, uh, and a great bit of, you know, marketing. Um, so yes, so they've kidnapped Molly and then we think it's so, you know, we think Molly is going to be the sacrifice for the Gaborim, but then it's revealed that actually it was a trick and Jeffrey actually wanted to kill Nico because of how mean she was to Alex, but then it's actually Zavin. (laughs) It's yes, it's it's all over the place. Uh, we see that she, that Victor has the ability to transform a van into a, like a fighting robot, which he never uses again. And then what ends up happening? Oh, and then he decides to kill Chase. And then Jeffrey throws, and then Gert shows up to stop Jeffrey, and he throws the knife into Gert and kills her. Yes, many many near deaths, many close calls. Um, a few too many, perhaps. <laughs> yes, I, I, well, I've said this before. I hate the teasing someone's death on the last page of the of the, and, and it's the same thing in a TV show as well, where it's like the episode ends with like some big revelation seemingly happening, and then in the first five minutes of the next episode, it's like, well, we're gonna walk that Just back. Just kidding. Just kidding. 
it's it's a big season finale thing as well. Yes. Um, and it's like I understand because like you know, uh, but it's also like the point of doing that is so it's like we can have this big twist, but actually everything is still with the status quo. But then in the next issue, <laughs> a character does still die <laughs> in like a. A fairly permanent fashion is my understanding. Yeah, she doesn't come back until the, like, recent 2017 run. Right. There also is another, like, Vaughnism in that issue. Oh, yeah, it is in 18, which is hanging out behind the Hollywood sign. Yes. I think they've done that before, to be fair. In Runaways? I think they have. I They definitely did it in Swamp Thing. Like, Swamp Thing number oh, one. They didn't, the, they didn't think of that. The, like, Tefe um, right. as Mary What's-Her-Face story. They, like, just hung out behind the Hollywood sign. Right. That's what I'm thinking of, for sure. Um, so, so Gert's dead. How do we feel? Yeah, we haven't really I talked about Gert much in this, uh, in, in this little bit. Because she is... She's definitely not sidelined. No, definitely also not. future Gert. But it doesn't feel like... Like, I would say in terms of, like, character interest, she definitely falls pretty dramatically. She's never, like, the focus character or, like, driving character of a story. No. And and part of that is because I think she is just, like, the most level-headed character and, like, one of the more mature characters. And so she doesn't need the same kind of development that the other characters do. And maybe that's also a bit of why she was chosen to be the one to die like it's another thing with it's like the alex reveal where it's like if you just say one of them is going to die which i and i just saw like a passing mention of it in the letters page because like there were solicitations months out out of that cover Mm -hmm. (laughs) which said one of these runaways is about to die and so when you have that as like a reveal and like a marketing tactic then it's it has to be surprising by default right which sort of takes away some of like your ability to seed it within the story itself. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I can't say honestly that I really have uh, any <laughs> any <laughs> thoughts about it. Particularly, like, I don't, I don't know that someone had to die, but I mean, if you're gonna choose someone, I guess, I guess Gert is as good a choice as any. I don't know. It's, it's, again, I knew she died uh, coming in. So there was no mystery there for me. There was no surprise in it. Uh, and it's hard to remember back to like my initial reaction. But, you know, it's it's fine, I guess. Yeah, I did, I did not know about this, but I didn't like I couldn't really bring myself to care that much. Like in a lot of ways, she's almost like the one that makes the most sense because like Nico dying would be a huge shakeup, obviously. Mm-hmm chase that's like he's just like a big voice especially in these issues i think chase like gets a much bigger like he's not just the dumb jock like he's a bit more of like a voice in the proceedings compared Mm -hmm. to the previous time and he will kind of become as a result of this he he is becomes one of the sort of like focus characters for the last few issues yes molly obviously that would be like very shocking and like would have massive repercussions victor is just interesting because he's like the most recently introduced character carolina i guess would be the other person and then like having carolina dead and zavin on the team would make for an interesting dynamic as well well I, i think the problem is that if you kill carolina zavin just leaves well, no, because the reason that they stay is that their, like, motherboard is fried or whatever, like, the classic oh, right. explanation like, is. There's nowhere to go. They're stuck on Earth. But anyways, 
I so yes, I I didn't like you said. I was just like, okay, <laughs> so, so she's the person that dies. Okay, yeah. it's yeah, to take all all taken in stride, and they resolve it all, of course, by preventing a time paradox by erasing Jeffrey's memory and then sending him back to the moment that he was taken. The only thing he leaves behind is one of his decoder rings, which Chase hangs onto and uses uh, extensively in the coming issues. Yes. Oh, there's also a great moment right at the end here, or maybe it's the sort of beginning of the next arc, which is oh, where it very says pointed. the beginning question mark <laughs> <laughs> instead of <laughs> right. No, I, I understand what you're going for. Um, yes, the very pointedly titled "Dead Means Dead." Yes, is the uh, the second last arc here. We Nico and victor have sex like immediately after yep inviting then, uh tremendous questions about the logistics yes certainly from you they demand answers and <laughs> you know what if it's my responsibility to find them then so be it i'll take the bullet um but yes and, and like this is also like it's not just like something that well it is something that just happens but it's also like i think it is sort of part of nico's character like that she tends to like search for these sort of like moments of intimacy during times of like high anxiety and emotionality. Mm -hmm. But the thing I really want to talk about is the conversation between Molly and the leapfrog robot. Oh, love it. <laughs> which is a dynamic we've been sorely missing. Yeah, absolutely. Is the, the Peabody dynamic, um, I would say. Yeah, put these, these, three pages in the comics hall of fame is my at take least, at least the robots talking to people and like having human yeah emotions hall of fame yes where the leapfrog bot tells molly that gertrude is in heaven and then molly says that you should never lie even to make someone feel better about something uh but but not realizing that she's just been lied to Oh really? I thought. Wait, hold on. So, so yeah, the the leapfrog tells her that, and then thinks that he's been found out when she says that, um, because she he says, "Oh yes, Gertz. Oh, my software's actually... updated. Gertz in heaven." And she's like, "Oh really? Are my parents there too?" And he's like, "Uh, don't know. You'll have to ask Chase." And that's when she's like, "Oh, you're not supposed to lie to people, even to make them feel better." Which is why I'm going to tell you this hard truth, which is that we don't know if Chase is coming back. Right. Uh, also, and then he is guilty. Holy frog robot, we love you. <laughs> his um, uh, just his like narrowed eyes. Uh, yes, <laughs> make him inscrutable and extremely lovable at the same time. Yes, uh, like I said, we've been we've been deprived up to this point. When we've been deprived of Leapfrog being able to talk the whole time. As soon as he started talking, it should have be become Leapfrog and the Runaways. <laughs> uh, we love we love a good robot. More like a ribbit. Oh. That's, that's actually quite good. <laughs> is the thing. Also, another thing I wanted to quickly touch on is that the couple is that if Gert married Chase and took his name, she would be Gertrude Stein. <laughs> That's just something I noticed. Uh, that is true. Um, there is a fill-in artist on this issue. I don't know if you noticed. 
I did not notice. Mike actually. Mike Norton takes over. He is not an artist who I would have compared with Adrian Alfona, and I didn't. I I also didn't like when you look at it closely. It's yeah. like yeah, it's different, but it's it's similar to like Gore and Suzuka would take over those issues of why, and you don't necessarily like immediately register it. I think again the fact that. Craig Young is still inking and Christina Strain is still doing the colors goes to show and I'm sure Mike Norton is probably like adjusting his style a bit to stay consistent with the book but I think it is a testament to how far those two elements can go in keeping the look of a book very consistent yeah absolutely and there's also a good moment of Molly wearing Gert's glasses, which is a good bit. Molly does wear Gert's glasses. Um, Gert does speak to her from beyond the grave. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> but, that's but brought not up a actually. few times and is like, do we get resolution on that? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, it's Alex speaking to her from hell. <laughs> oh, right. wait. Is that said directly before? Never mind. Yes, this is, this is also a weird arc. It is an where... extremely weird arc. An old man makes a wish upon like an ancient stone, <laughs> like a monkey's becomes... past amulet type thing. I was thinking like of like a Power Rangers, <laughs> like he's turned into like a not a Megazord, but the when the monster becomes giant. So it is, is it is confusing though because he wishes for things to go back to the way they were, and the result is he turns into a, a giant big monster. monster and and smashes all the starbucks <laughs> which <laughs> a great bit that is a good bit but but also like I, I don't know i guess the amulet gave him the power to from his perspective put things back the way they were by yeah, destroying I guess it's, starbucks i would imagine it's not really like a wishing stone <laughs> like it's not like this is like the twisted version of his wish yeah but i don't why think. why I think didn't it's just it like this turns until, you into a monster why didn't it activate until he held it though because the cop was carrying it around for ages apparently you're right it's a wishing stone <laughs> he wished to become <laughs> a big monster uh, like, and if you think like, about it brian Kavon actually should have a story by credit for wonder woman 1984 sure um yeah, and like you seen like Wonder a, Woman nineteen eighty four? Yes, okay. I, I understand. <laughs> but you I just didn't laugh, so I wasn't I sure. Your comment. I wasn't sure if you got it. Another thing, like it's a very grotesque monster. It is gross. Like it's a big ground beef monster yeah. with grape eyes. It kind of reminds me horns. of like the Titans from Attack on Titan, which famously yeah. are like their skin is tearing open. <laughs> yes, are very grotesque. So yes, he becomes a big monster, and then they fight the big monster. Like, yeah, pretty, pretty much. Oh, and then at the same time, we get sort of the start of this chase arc. Uh, yeah, he like kidnaps Lotus, who is one of the like Alex's RPG buddies who helped Jeffrey, and tries to get her to help. Like, yeah, the B plot is he goes with her to meet the Gaborim. They're like, "We'll bring Gertrude back if you feed us, because um, we're not us when we're hungry." And he's like, I'll think about it. <laughs> yes, that's exactly correct. And not that much else happens in this arc. Not really. Number 21 has the best cover in the series, I was though. about to say. <laughs> I was literally about to say exactly that. Just go look at it. And also, issue 21 has the return of the like Tsunami News Magazine TV oh, show. Oh, yeah. Which was referenced earlier. R.I.P. Tsunami, certainly. R.I.P. Tsunami. Deuces to you. And by extension, the world. <laughs> um, it's a it's an almost it's an almost zodish ending where 
yeah. Zavin appears in the form of the old man's dead wife mm-hmm. and like coaxes him back into giving up. Yeah. Decos him. Yes. She full on decos him. <laughs> uh, speaking of weird issues, uh, number 22, the fight with the werewolves. Oh, yeah. I What's the I deal truly... with how they fight these werewolves? <laughs> well, they fought vampires already. <laughs> but they're like, hee-hee-yeah, Old West prospector werewolves? <laughs> yeah, they're like Yosemite Sams. <laughs> it's it's truly very, very weird. I would love to know what <laughs> the genesis of these werewolf characters are. Like, if he was just like, give me some fun designs for characters you would want to draw for like three pages or like how exactly they were like all right i want the i want it to be a werewolf but make him be wearing like the nightgown that granny from tweety bird (laughs) wears well that it's he's it's a full-on big bad wolf situation it is a a full-on big bad wolf i suppose and there's also like a were possum yeah the the (laughs) werewolves are crazy and they say, you pups done roamed to the wrong side of the range. <laughs> um, truly, when I first saw that splash art, it took me a couple of pages to reacclimate because I was like, oh, like, this is a joke where these are animatronic yeah. characters <laughs> like, at like a Chuck E. Cheese They're watching a cartoon. <laughs> yes. And then I was like, oh, they appear to be real and like <laughs> are doing things. Nico's wearing a weird hat in this issue. Uh, Nico's wearing a weird hat in many issues. <laughs> there's some hat choices again as we've said throughout most assuredly and yes but basically what happens is that we get more of a focus on this chase story to sort of close things out where he is very conflicted about what he is going to do in terms of sacrificing someone to the gaborim we you know we see much like the t's deaths we see a lot of t's like is he is it going to be this person is he going to kill this person or whatever Mm mm-hmm and then it eventually turns out to be Nico, but, but it's a trick. Oh, no, he's going to sacrifice himself. Yes. Is what he eventually comes to because he can't bring himself to kill anyone. He's a good guy after all. Yeah. He didn't um, beat that carjacker to death and bury him in a landfill. Right. As he's learned. <laughs> there's a weird scene where Zavin shows up in like Carolina's bedroom. Well, this is what I'm talking about with the weird... <laughs> The weird dream things because like to end the last issue Nico has a weird dream and then wakes up but is in another weird surreal situation that seems like it could also be a dream and then this issue starts with a weird dream and then that Carolina is having and then yes. she wakes up and is in a surreal situation that seems like it could still be a dream yes it's pretty much it's everyone very like, weird. gets a weird dream yeah <laughs> And then wakes up into a surreal situation that seems like it could also be a weird dream. Yes. And so eventually everyone everyone ends up in the Giborum land. Mm-hmm. So I'm just paging through because I I I was I was losing my grip on reality <laughs> for a bit at the end here. Well, um, I mean the long and the short of it is that they no one's getting sacrificed to the Giborum. They are gonna uh, just die of yes, they do just they die of starvation in a in a, in a great sort of anti-climax also when chase like <laughs> shuts victor down by like just uh, by asking him to like could god make a sandwich that was too big for him yeah question is it like a great weird comedic <laughs> beat that feels more bkv than 
necessary for this book. <laughs> not necessary, but than it than we've seen from this book, certainly. Like that sort of anticlimactic nature of it. Yeah. Um but yes, eventually everyone sort of comes back together. Uh Molly and Victor do a fastball special. They do undeniably. <laughs> oh, the explanation for how Iron Man finds them is crazy, which is that Zavin thought he made them all invisible but actually he only made the shield around them invisible <laughs> so a bunch of people the oh yeah the two like security guards saw them like yes. plop up out of the tar pit and fly away uh so iron man shows up with a bunch of shield agents and they're like and what are we gonna to do you. yes and the answer is run away off page yes immediately after chase says at the very end of that scene well, I'm going to vote against walking away. Um, but yes, but the real ending of this issue, a truly insane ending is yeah. the Giborim, like wake up in the afterlife. They're like, like we're not a, hungry anymore. Just a pure white field. And then who is with them but Alex Wilder, like in a white Talking suit. Talking to them about Pat Benatar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Seen this uh, at the circus. I saw strong man bend a car. Uh-huh. Yes, uh-huh. and it's so a, not with a, a bang truly, does Brian go out. It's a, it's a truly disorienting ending. It is great. The whole yeah, the whole last arc is kind of bizarre. The ending in particular, having like the cliffhanger of like Iron Man is here to confront them, and and the like actual ending of. And uh, I know you're wondering what happened to the Gaborim because saying they died isn't enough. So we're going to show them in hell, but actually it's limbo question mark with Alex and no one else. Yeah, like truly like and I didn't I wouldn't even say I disliked any of like these issues. But after after the East Coast, West Coast arc, you have the Molly becoming a pickpocket <laughs> issue. A crazy story. The resurrected Jeffrey Wilder arc. My, which, I would say the best of the latter half. Yes, which I, I again, like, I, I like all of this stuff. It's just, like, it's so crazy that, like, this is what they came <laughs> up with. Um, uh, and, then, and then Dead Means Dead with the giant monster going into the chase stuff. So it's just, like, it's truly, like, throwing everything at the wall to some extent. Yeah, I, I read that his schedule at this point was, it, it like giving himself a week to write each title that he was working on he would write why in the first week of the month runaways in the second as quote a palate cleanser (laughs) and then would do ex machina and then the fourth week for kind of like whatever else he was working on so like some at one point it would have been mystique at one point it would have been ultimate x-men i think like around this time he would have been doing like pride of baghdad or maybe developing something new but yes, he is. Uh, he's done on Runaways. I did, yeah. Weird. He's like weird Faye. latter latter days for Runaways. Uh, he's like Faye. I don't get it. Oh, Faye done away. Done away. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. And as he said, they get replaced by Joss Whedon and Michael Ryan, the Vaughn yeah. and Alfoda creative team. Uh, Michael um, Ryan, who did the art for Mystique, I believe. Sure, I believe you. Trust me. I I just said I did. Trust me, I said. <laughs> uh, yes. 
but uh, oh, but there's also a lost reference. There uh, is somewhere in somewhere in here. Someone was like, "Oh, it's it's on Victor's voicemail." I remember he's like, "If it's Wednesday, oh, yeah. don't freaking call me because Lost is on." <laughs> I think that's actually before he was writing for Lost. I know, which is uh, what makes yeah, it even more yeah. crazy. Well, makes sense. He was a big fan, I'm sure. More like Bry the the Lost Man. <laughs> Oh, come on. You gotta give it up for I that one. I can't and won't. Can't and won't. Ugh. So, overall thoughts on this one. It seems like we both had a, a much significantly better time with it than with the first volume. Yeah, like I said uh, about the first volume, like Runaways has never been one of my favorite Vaughn books. It's it, it, I wouldn't say that this reread has improved its like standing in my rankings at all. Um, I do like this chunk of issues better than the first volume, but it's still, you know, I can't, I can't say that I have nothing but praise for it, certainly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think for me, like, because my general remembrance of it were like, yeah, this is like really solid and like, it's a fun time. And then reading the first volume, I was like, oh, like, is this actually secretly bad? And then reading this one was more like it sort of brought me back to where I like was at previously where I was like, no, like this is really fun. Like it's way weirder than I remembered in terms <laughs> of like all the different plotting that happens. Like the fact that a race of giant elder gods are like a significant part of the plot is insane. But yeah, it's it's a lot of fun and like I said, I think I think it's really just elevated by his writing getting better and him having a better handle on the characters and able to inject those moments that are a little more effective. Agreed. So how many how many Eisners did you end for this one? <laughs> uh I don't want to talk about the Eisners again because we've already covered it several times. I think there's one there's one year he wins Best Writer and this is on the slate. I think it's two thousand six, oh, I, I wanna say. I was I was making a joke. Oh. <laughs> I was looking up sales numbers, uh and it's surprisingly consistent. Number one debuts to thirty thousand, which I believe is quite a bit more than what number 18 of volume one did and number 24 sells 25,000 so as like sales numbers go that's shockingly consistent and I'm sure it was down close to 25,000 by like number three so pretty much steady like the whole way through would be my bet let's have a look at number three just to satisfy our curiosity Yes, the both of us are curious about this. Oh, number three, holding in there at 29,000. Anyways, the, the audience came pre-built for sure, and uh, and it stayed strong and consistent the whole way through. New Avengers topping the charts the month that number one came out, selling 162,000. Superman, Batman, Green Lantern Rebirth, Ultimates 2, amongst some of the other top sellers. Yeah, and, and I think it's been talked about before, but this does really feel like it's a it's a comic where like like these are like the the 15 year old in the barnes and noble would just like pick it up and be like that's cool or like yeah that that it would be someone's first comic and sort of provides them with like a sort of like a very not cinematic but tv attic (laughs) sort of crossover portal into that world um and it's also around the time that I, i mean i guess superheroes had already like gone mainstream at that point but like this is right before the mcu sort of kicks off and yeah. so within a few years we're getting tv shows like with and, and stuff with similar ideas to runaways like i you know like i'm thinking of like vampire diaries and twilight were starting to become popular at the time which is the same sort of 
melding of teen soap and other stuff. Yeah. And I guess Buffy already existed. Yeah. He was, um, at one point, he was tapped and did like, um, I'm not sure if he did a full script or just like a treatment for a Runaways MCU entry that he talked about in this interview that I've mentioned a few times with The Hollywood Reporter when uh, the TV show came out. And he says that, uh, like, yeah, I did it and they were very nice about it. But then they decided they were going to go in another direction with this obscure book called Guardians of the Galaxy. Which is funny. Uh, and then he's like, just goes to show that, like, Kevin Feige uh, is smart and I'm dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I and I do understand, like, there, there would be an appeal to, like, Runaways because it's, like, more of a teen, like, coming of age thing. Which it, And I know, like, they sort of, like, like to dip their toes in the different genres. Um, and I know they made a TV show, but I could see them, you know, doing... I feel like they will do something like Young Avengers eventually... Where it's like Cassie Lang and oh, they'll definitely do Young Avengers, Kamala Khan, and all that they've, stuff. They've and already started seeding all that stuff. Yeah. Um. Anyways, is there anything else we need to add before we uh, conclude this episode? I don't think so. Like, once once these things start like running up or wrapping up, he doesn't really move on to anything too major. Um. Like, I'm trying to think after. After how well maybe maybe he does. I'm trying to remember when Saga started because it's been on hiatus for like two years and everything <laughs> makes it that makes it feel like it's been going a lot longer than it actually has. But um, Saga started starts in March of 2012, so okay. that's that's well after this ended, and it's I'm like not a sure few exactly years after. Ends. It's a few years after Ex Machina ends because it ends in like I think 2010. But he doesn't really start any other long-running stuff until then. He talks in a few interviews about how he's, like, kind of got a few pots on the stove for, like, graphic novels, but not anything ongoing. But I think, yeah, once this wraps and Y wraps, he's pretty much down to Ex Machina for a couple years. And then, like, radio silence, it felt like, until uh, Saga came out. Interesting. Um so next episode, we will be exploring some more BKV Marvel work. And we're going back in time again, correct? We are, yeah. We're uh, getting Pitbull we're, on the horn. We're pitbulling it up once again. We're going to go back in time. Um, <laughs> very good by us. Yeah, so we're, we're going to be going back to 2004 again. What a year so. for him. Yeah, truly. Um, and so we will be talking about Ultimate X-Men numbers 46 through 65. And uh, it's going to be a fun time. We're going to talk about, like, I mean, we talked, again, we talked about Swamp Thing. Oh, I've got I've got some Ultimate Universe talk. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> primed so and ready. Weird. Can't wait to talk about the Ultimate Universe in general. Uh, it is so weird. Uh, he also has a hilarious flex about this run from an interview I read, like while it was running where they were like, so like ultimate X-Men seems to be going well, like it's well received. Would you ever want to write like a mainline X book? And he's like, well, what's mainline X book? Cause mine sells more than most of the other X-Men <laughs> titles. So <laughs> I got him. I'm good. <laughs> it's like, yeah, can't, can't argue with that. Andy Grammer over here. Honey, I'm good. <sighs> <laughs> nah, nah. 
<laughs> Indeed. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. So this, this it'll be a few firsts for us next episode. Is like, that the same guy who does House Party? What's House Party? That one is like, we're going to have a house party. Oh, I know what you're talking. No, I don't think. No, that's Sam Hunt. Okay. Honey, I'm good. Is a song about the not cheating, cheating on your wife. Not <laughs> cheating. Yes, about how <laughs> about how tempting, but no. <laughs> and also, if if I do have a few more drinks, yes. <laughs> but I am showing some self control here. Now, is either of those guys responsible for the track "Body Like a Back Road"? I believe. So. Oh wait, no. Sam Hunt is like I. Oh yes, Sam Hunt did do "Body yes! Like a Back Road." <laughs> I'm a country genius. <laughs> uh, hard to forget by Sam Hunt, a great song, I will say. Haven't heard it. Too busy listening to House Party on Body <laughs> Like a Back Road. <laughs> so say we all, certainly. Uh, um, but that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to uh, d- make it. Hey, you should make it hard to forget to give us five stars. Did we say sacrifice a soul to us last time? <laughs> it's possible. Make... Marry, marry our podcast on Apple <laughs> on iTunes when it comes from outer space to tell you that you were promised to it before you were born. Did that wedding ever get completed though? I think the no, implication is that that did not get pulled off because someone said something about what the color of the bridesmaids yeah, dresses. Yeah, one of the scrolls insulted the bridesmaids dresses and then all the grown-ups started fighting reignited the war and they dipped they said deuces to two worlds hey and then (laughs) the world said deuces to them we we neglected to talk about the star exploding (laughs) yeah and okay all of like the world's being wiped that astrologist or astronomer Astronomer. says that he doesn't think aliens are real like does this guy (laughs) think he knows more than reed richards that seems like a crazy take in the marvel universe to be like aliens don't actually exist and the people who say it are total crackpots it's like earth has been like were you not around when like galactus (laughs) showed up and was visible in space for like several days like have you how are you like a 60 year old man in the marvel universe and you don't think aliens are real he's in this world he's the crackpot wow if you think about it I also kind of wanted to get his take when I saw that the whole uh, observatory was on fire. I wanted him to, like, for some reason, show up and be like, my lab. As long as that James Dean bust gets burnt up, I'll be fine. (laughs) Anyways, until next time. To to be be continued. continued. We should get a co-sponsorship with the streaming platform Tubi. To be continued. and Harvey Weinstein to, to which I said Jimmy Savile <laughs> and the other two people said Shakespeare in Love oh. <laughs> and then it got to uh, and then it was Shakespeare in Love and Jimmy Savile and they both said Ben Affleck and I said Top of the Pops <laughs>
<laughs> and then, but then, okay, Ben Affleck. So wait, and it was Tom Ben Affleck on top of the pops. You, you, you know what? There's, a, there's a right answer. Exactly, Jennifer Lopez. And so <laughs> me and this other person both said Jennifer Lopez, and then the third person. Oh, what did they say? And they said Elliot Smith because Elliot Smith did the score uh, to Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> oh. 